Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. I um, uh, The Lord put this uh, message on my heart uh, yesterday after I spent some time praying about um, somebody in the church that I know is uh, going through a difficulty where sickness is concerned. And uh, so this message is specifically targeted for an individual. But I believe it will be a, a blessing and a help to anybody and everybody else too. But um, uh, so I'm glad you're here tonight. I think it's uh, it's this is one of those spirit directed services. Now, while you're getting your uh, Bibles open, opening your Bibles, Hebrews chapter four, I want to read to you the words of a song. It's an old song. I don't know how old. I don't know when it was written. But um, those of you that uh, grew up in church, you'll recognize it right away. The name of the song is Standing on the Promises. The first uh, verse goes like this. Standing on the promises of Christ, my king, through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Verse 2, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Third verse, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Fourth verse, standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. I want to read verse 4 to you again. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. What I want to do tonight is, I want to, even though the name of the song is Standing on the Promises, I want to talk to you about resting in the promises. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, I believe Paul's the author of the book of Hebrews, and the Holy Ghost is telling whoever wrote it, the Holy Ghost is speaking to us and says, Let us therefore fear, that word does not mean to be afraid like you'd be afraid of a snake or a spider or something like that. It means have respect to. It's talking about the fear of the Lord. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. He's talking about Israel when they went to the promised land, came to the edge of the promised land. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Now, this word rest is an interesting word because it's only used about, uh, well, how many times is it used? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in the New Testament. Now, eight of those nine times are right here in chapters three and four. Paul is coming up with a, with a uh, I hate to say a new concept, but he's, he's introducing a new way of looking at things. The only other time that it's used in the New Testament is in Acts chapter seven. I'll read this to you. Acts chapter 7, where um, I think, who is this? I think this is, uh, oh, what's his name? Stephen? I think it's Stephen doing the preaching. Anyway, somebody's preaching, and in the middle of their preaching, they're talking about Israel and, and so forth. And he says this, he makes this quote from the Old Testament in Acts chapter 7 and verse 49. Um, he spoke to the prophet and said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? 
Every other time in the New Testament that the, this word rest is used, it's used in connection with chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. And it's in there, um, however many times I said, about eight times in, uh, in those uh, several verses in those two chapters. Now, the word rest literally means abiding place. It means a place of, of uh, a place where you live. But it's not the same word that's used in, uh, uh, for abide in other places. For example, John, John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. That's not this word. It's a different word that Paul uses. That's one of the reasons I think Paul is the author because none of the other uh, New Testament writers or authors were used with uh, uh, the, the intellect that Paul had regarding language and, and even Jewish history and, and so forth. Nevertheless, what it's saying is that the promises of God are to be rested or entered into. Now, the context that he's talking about is when Israel in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 13, Israel comes to the edge of the promised land. They've been led out of Egypt by the strong hand of God. God uh, Moses parts the Red Sea when they get to the edge of it, and Pharaoh's army comes in, chases after them. Israel goes, on, uh, goes over on dry ground. Uh, Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army chases after them, and as a result, uh, the, the sea comes together and, and they're destroyed. They come to the edge of the promised land after receiving the law and send 12 spies into the promised land. Ten of those 12 spies come back and say, well, the land's everything God said, but, but there are people that live in there. There are giants that live in the land. We're not going to be able to take the land. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, saw exactly the same thing but came back with a different report. Folks, it's not a matter of what you see. It's a matter of what you believe. Two people can see exactly the same thing and believe exactly the opposite. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, we can do it. We saw the giants. The land is just what God said. There are giants that live in the land, but God is greater than the giants. God is on our side. He'll lead us into the promised land. This is what Paul is talking about where he said the word did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. In other words, they didn't enter into his rest. They did not enter into what, the, what Paul is speaking of and talking about the abiding place of God. Now, how many of you know that the Bible talks about the promises of God being realized by faith? As a matter of fact, there's only one time that the Bible ever gives us any, or one thing, several times, but one thing that the Bible ever identifies why somebody doesn't receive from God, and that's unbelief. There's a, there was a new movie that came out here not too long ago, uh, the new movie about Jesus. I, don't, I didn't see it. I don't remember what it was called, but... Um, but maybe you remember what I'm talking about. I didn't go see the movie because the trailer just turned me off. Because here Jesus does something. There's some miracle that he performed. And I even heard from somebody that went to the movie that was like this all, pretty much all the way through. Where Jesus would perform a miracle and the look on his face was, can you believe that just happened? It was like he was surprised when the power of God worked. Well, that's not the way it was. That's not the way it worked in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry. As a matter of fact, Jesus marveled when people didn't believe. Jesus didn't marvel when something worked. Jesus marveled when they didn't believe. Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, it talks about in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there, in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work, save or except he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments, a few sickly folks, literally. Folks with minor ailments. And he got them healed. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. See, what surprised Jesus was when people didn't believe. Now, there were a couple of occasions where Jesus was surprised by somebody's faith. For example, the woman with the, um, uh, uh, the daughter who was uh, the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was oppressed of the devil. 
she wouldn't turn loose. Jesus kept giving her reason after reason after reason. You're not of the Jewish race. It's not for you. Uh, Healing belongs to the children of Israel and so forth. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. She finally used what Jesus said to turn it around so that she could have it. Jesus said it's not right to cast uh, the children's bread, which is healing or deliverance, to dogs, which is known, uh, which was uh, considered to be the Gentile world. She was part of that. And she said, truth, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus marveled and said, woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto you even as you will. There was another time where Jesus marveled at the, the centurion's faith in March, uh, in, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Where Jesus was going to come to his house and heal his servant. And the centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. I understand how authority works. Just say the word. You speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Just like I have servants that obey what I tell them to do because they're under my authority. I understand that sickness is under, well literally healing is under your authority. Speak the word of healing and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled and said, I hadn't found this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. So Jesus wasn't surprised when the power of God worked. Jesus was surprised when it didn't. Now, how do you come to that place where you know? See, folks, here's the bottom line. Here's what it comes down to. Over and over again, the Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word is forever settled in heaven. In other words, the word of God is more real than the seat that you're sitting in, the car that you drove to get here. Those are things that will pass away. But the word of God is more real, more sure than anything that you can identify in this natural realm. The word of God will never pass away. There's not one. Jesus said it this way. He said heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of the word of God fails. In other words, before one I doesn't get dotted, before one T doesn't get crossed, the world will pass away before my word will fail in even the least little bit. That's the point he's trying to make. There's not one speck of the word of God that can possibly fail to come to pass. That's what he's saying. Well, then let me ask you a question. After we get to the point where we've done all we can, Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand, stand therefore. After we get to the point where we've done everything that there is to do, what's left? What's left? There's nothing that's left. I believe that one of the strongest places of faith is when you get to the place where you say, Lord, I've done everything I can to stand. I am standing I trust in you. I trust in your word. Now it's up to you. I simply believe in your word. Here's the problem. The problem is time. The thing that robs us of rest. The thing that robs us of resting in the things of God is time. Let me give you an example. Or let me tell you a story first. Then I'll give you some examples about this. Brother Hagin told a story about when he was holding a meeting in a certain pastor's uh, church. Somewhere in Texas. About three hours drive from Dallas wherever i don't know where it was but anyway there was a, a convention of the uh, uh their denomination the, the uh, 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 convention was going on for that particular denomination that both brother hagan and the pastor were part of and so they had talked about it they knew it was coming up they knew when it was going on and so they had talked about it they said boy we'd sure like to get over there to that convention at least for a little bit but here we are in meetings and God's doing great things in these meetings. What do you think we ought to do? Well, they made some plans that, yeah, we're going to go at this certain time. And then they didn't wind up going. And then finally at the last minute they said, well, okay, tomorrow. We're going to leave first thing. This was on a Thursday. Friday morning at daybreak. We're going to get up and drive those three hours to Dallas. Go to the morning meetings at the convention. Turn around at lunchtime and drive back and we'll be ready for the evening service. Great, fine, no problem. Sounds good. They agreed on it. 
They started off daybreak Friday morning. They stayed for the morning service. Found out that some special speaker that they both wanted to hear was speaking in the afternoon service. So they stayed over for the afternoon. By the time they finally finished the afternoon service, service is about to start in two hours or less. Back three hours away, they are frantic. So they're scrambling. They make a, the pastor makes a phone call. We're going to get there as fast as we can. Keep them singing till we show up. So they're driving down the roads, country roads, no freeways at that time. They're driving up the country roads these two, these three hours, trying to make as good a time as they can. Brother Hagen has already announced that for that Friday night service is going to be miracle night. Bring all the sick. Anybody you know that's sick, bring the sick. Bring them on stretchers. Bring them in wheelchairs. Bring them. Just bring the sick. It's miracle night. So Brother Hagen, you know the kind of pressure you're under, under that kind of time and, and that kind of thing. Brother Hagen decided he's going to get in the back seat and, and pray and try to get ready for the service. Well, the pastor is trying to make such make up for the time, the loss of time and, and so forth. He starts driving down into the ditches, passing cars on the right-hand side. Brother Hagen said, I'm being thrown all around in the back seat. He said, now I can't pray for the service. I'm having to pray for our safety to get there in one piece. So long story short, they finally wind up getting there. They pull up and screech to a halt in the, dry, in the parking lot. The, 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 they can hear the singing going on in the, in the church. Uh, and, and the parsonage is right next door. Brother Hagen says, I've got to run next door and run a razor over my face. I haven't shaved since sunup. Got to run a razor over my face. I've got to change my shirt. I've got to put on a new tie. I've got to freshen up. I cannot go into the service looking like this. The pastor says, don't worry. I'll keep them going. I'll take the offering. By the time you get there, we'll turn it over to you and everything will be fine. Well, Brother Hagen goes next door to the parsonage. He goes into the, into the bathroom. He's trying to change his shirt. He's trying to shave a little bit. Electric razor, trying to shave, you know, that kind of thing. Complaining the whole way. Oh, dear Lord, if I had known that we were going to do this and the pastor was going to drive like a maniac, he said, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm in no position, no, no condition to pray for the sick. He said, I saw two ambulances out there, so I know there's at least two stretcher cases. Lord, if I had had any idea this was going to be the case, I would have never called for a miracle service tonight. Just going on and on and on while he's shaving, while he's trying to tie his tie and doing all this other kind of stuff. He hears a voice. And this voice says, were you planning on healing them? Brother Hagen said he looked out the window. He thought it was somebody outside. He was talking out loud, complaining out loud. He thought somebody outside this window has heard me. So he looks out the window. He can't find anybody out the bathroom window. He goes and uh, uh, goes back to the mirror and says, well, all right. I've just, now, dear Lord, I'm thinking of, you know, my mind is playing tricks on me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that shows I'm even in worse shape than I thought I was in. So he goes back to shaving or finishing and getting ready, whatever he's doing. And he goes back to complaining. Oh, dear Lord, if I had only known. On and on and on. Finally, this voice speaks to him again. A little stronger this time. says, were you planning on healing them? This time, Brother Hagin stops. He goes into the bedroom and looks underneath the bed. He said it was that real to him. He said, I knew somebody was playing tricks on me. Finally, he comes back, seeing nobody's under the bed, nobody's in the house. He comes back to the bathroom and he says, Lord, that was you, wasn't it? And the Lord speaks to him and says, don't you think I know that you needed to go to that convention? Don't you think I've got enough good sense to know that being a part of this denomination, which I want you to be, you need to go to that convention because that's where you get a lot of your meetings and that's where you make contacts and so forth, ministry contacts and so forth. He said, now, if you'd been out, to, uh, out all day wasting your time doing foolish things and then you came in not prepared for the service, that'd be different. He said, but I knew you needed to go. So why don't you just let me do the healing? 
Brother Hagin said, well, Lord, that's so good. He said, I don't have any healing power. I couldn't heal a fly's eyeball or a gnat's wing. And the Lord said this. He said, just lean back on me and I'll do the healing. Brother Hagin said that's one of the greatest services he ever had. Because he is so conscious now, when he walks next door, he is so conscious that God is there, that God's the one doing the work. He said, I just lean back on the Lord. He said, we had one of the most high-heeled services you ever saw in your life. Two of the, he found out there were three stretcher cases, not just two. Only two of them came in an ambulance. But of the three stretcher cases, two of them were instantly healed, and one recovered a couple of days later. He said, it's one of the greatest services we ever had. Why? Because he just leaned back on the Lord. See, I think a lot of times when it comes to the things of faith... We're trying to make things happen on the strength of our own will. Now, don't get me wrong. Your will is important. But once you express your will and exercise your will toward the word of God, what else is there for you to do? You're going to raise yourself up? You're going to cause your fever to go away? You're going to cause your legs to work? Or something to disappear? Somebody that has that kind of power, let me know. We'll put you to work. Well, certainly nobody has that kind of power. Yet, unfortunately, we get the idea many times that through our faith, the force of our faith, we get the idea in many cases that we're doing it on our own. Folks, if our faith isn't grounded in something God said, your faith is a waste of time. It's the force of God's word and the power behind that word, that promise, that makes faith worthwhile. Now, here's the, here's the thing about delay. Smith Wigglesworth, you may not be aware of this. I, uh, I talk a lot, a lot about Wigglesworth. I talk about the healings and the miracles and the things that, that took place in his ministry. Some people have the idea that if you're strong in faith and if your faith is working, then you're going to get pretty close to instant or at least short-term results in anything you believe for. Smith Wigglesworth believed God for two years to pass kidney stones. Now, all the time, He's going out and having miracles, raising the dead in some cases, and then suffering almost all night in many cases trying to pass these kidney stones. Now, what's the matter with him? Didn't his faith work? Well, it sure worked in getting other people healed. Sure worked in raising the dead on a couple of occasions during that period of time. See, we get the idea sometimes that delay, the time involved in something, means something's not working. Why? Well, it's where the devil tries to beat us up. It's the way the devil uses to try to operate against us. And now, now folks, don't get me wrong. Some people's faith is not at the place when they begin to pray that it needs to be to receive. You remember in Mark chapter 8, there's a story about a, uh, a man that comes to Jesus and his eyes are blind. He's, uh, he's blind, and so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus lays hands on him. And after he lays hands on him, he asks him, now what do you see? The man responds and says, I see men as trees walking around. So Jesus lays hands on him the second time. The second time he comes away and his eyes are perfectly normal. Now what happened there? Did Jesus not have a good connection the first time? Did the power not work the way it was supposed to the first time? Was there a shortage or a problem on Jesus' end? No. Well, what made the difference? This man's faith grew as he was encouraged by, the, short, by the, the, the lesser results he got to begin with, then he turned his faith loose and got the total results. Can you see that? Can I ask you a question? When the Bible says that Jesus, if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books, we would have to assume then that more people were healed than what we have record of. Wouldn't you think so? 
I mean, healing was a big part of Jesus' ministry. If, if we have just a, a short list of the things that were accomplished in the area of healing as well as in every other area in Jesus' ministry, then wouldn't you assume that we're, there were a lot more people healed in Jesus' ministry than we have record of? I wonder if there were people that were healed that the disciples didn't even know about. I know we've had situations where people were just healed in services while you're preaching or teaching the word. And people would receive their healing in cases like that. I wonder if that could have happened in Jesus' ministry. Or maybe we're better at it than he was. Maybe we're better teachers than he was. You know I'm being facetious about that, don't you? Well, if we get those kind of results today, I wonder if Jesus got those kind of results then. I wonder if there are situations where people got results on their own faith where nobody ever, ever even knew about it. There were a lot of other things that happened in Jesus' ministry that the disciples were clueless about. I think that's a distinct possibility. See, the problem is this. We can have things worked out in our own minds, how things are supposed to work or how we think they're supposed to work or how they're going to work. And many times we get it in our thinking that this is the way and the only way it's going to happen. And as a result, we miss out on some very, very, very good and and even supernatural things. And we let time, we let difficulty, we let circumstances make us wonder well, maybe this didn't work in the way it's supposed to. Now, without question, the first, way, the first thing that, that uh, the sincere people check on themselves is they blame themselves or wonder, what am I doing wrong? You ever been tempted to believe or wonder if you were doing something wrong and maybe that was the reason why things were taking longer than you hoped they would take or thought they were supposed to take? Well, sure, we've always all been there, haven't we? That's a pretty common occurrence. Certainly it is. Let me tell you another story. There was a, a ministry acquaintance of, of mine. Uh, he wasn't a real close friend, but we had uh, we have hundreds of mutual friends. And he was on the mission field, and he contracted a, some kind of disease, and and uh, caused him to come off the mission field and, and come back home. And uh, it progressed through his body. Now he's he's laying hands on the sick while he's on the mission field, getting miracles and different things like that, getting a lot of people saved. He was a real evangelist type outstanding minister of God. God used him in some great ways. He's in his, um, I'm going to guess that he was in maybe his late 30s. He had a, um, uh, young kids, two or three kids, I'm not sure, and, um, uh, and a young wife, and, and they're just doing great things on the mission field for God, but this, this sickness got a hold of him. So he had to come off the mission field, move back to the States, and uh, he moved back to Tulsa where they had a part of their family lived and had a good support system of friends and family and, and so forth. And, uh, and this thing progressed and it kept getting worse and worse and it was a life-threatening situation. And so it got to where he was bedfast and, and, uh, and that type of thing. And, and like I said, he was an acquaintance of mine, not really a friend. And so when I'd go to Tulsa, I didn't know the guy well enough to, to go visit him or anything. But a lot of people that I know and are good friends with would do just exactly that because they were close friends with him. And so he had a steady stream of visitors, and most of these visitors were uh, either family members that knew the word and were believing God for his healing and with him, or ministers, whether in that area or from other parts of the country, even in some cases other parts of the world, that come into Tulsa for conventions and uh, meetings and things like that, and they'd stop by and see him. So he had no shortage of people that were believing God with him. He had no shortage of people that were willing to pray for him, people that would lay hands on him and minister life to him. No shortage of that whatsoever. Now, somebody that is a real good friend of mine told me that he visited him several times. And he said every time that he visited him, 
he said he could see the progression of things that were taking place in his body. And he was talking about how the, the disease had, uh, was progressing through his body. He said, the first time I went, man, he was strong in faith. It was like, bless God, I'm, I'm trusting God to see me through. He'll raise me up. And the prayer of faith has been prayed. And, and the, the Lord will raise me up. If the word is true, then the Lord will raise me up. And that type of thing. But then the longer it went, the more open he got. And asking people, do you see something that I'm doing wrong? Now, he was sincere. I mean, it wasn't a matter of unbelief, at least not initially. He's just genuinely wanting to know, if, if I'm blind to something that I'm doing wrong, that I need to be doing instead of what I'm doing, please tell me. He's looking for help. And nobody could come up with anything. There were some that, that I heard reports that there were some that, that would come and say, well, here's what you need to do, and he'd try that, and it wouldn't work. Somebody else would say, well, here's what you need to do, and he'd try that, and that wouldn't work. But by and large, nobody had anything. Somebody may have speculated and, and out of a, a sincere desire to see him healed. They may have come up with some ideas or suggestions or things that they thought. But obviously nothing was, was of God. Nobody uh, was given anything from God to straighten his situation out or turn it around or anything like that. And uh, so anyway, uh, he wound up dying. Late 30s. Young family. Young kids. Um, missions work was on hold his wife finally went back to the mission field and she's carrying on and and that type of thing but you could well understand how that would create a lot of controversy and a lot of questions and and so forth and for a long time man it was the hot topic of discussion among ministers and um i i don't get back there very often but i would hear secondhand and and uh, so forth some of the things that were being said and 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 you can well understand things like that do raise questions well, if this minister that preached healing and laid hands on people, laid hands on the sick and got healing results for other people, if he can't get healed, how's it going to work for me? So a lot of questions, a lot of things were floating around. But a good friend of mine that's also on the mission field told me that she was praying. And she was praying just before the guy died about him and about his situation and said that, I, that she had a vision. And in this vision, she saw a close-up of this guy, and this guy, the vision was like it was, uh, it was like it was, if she's looking through a camera, it was looking down at the individual. She could see his face, and she could see his hands, and it was like his, her, his hands were, were trying to hang on to an edge of a cliff. And his hands were bloody, and they were beaten up, and, and everything from the exertion of trying to hang on to this cliff. She said she realized what he was doing. He was hanging on to life. But then all of a sudden, the perspective of the vision changed. Now, now it's not looking down at his, at his face and his hands on the cliff. Now it backs up, rotates and backs up to where it's looking at him from the back to where he is hanging on the cliff. And he's struggling. His one hand comes loose and he grabs back on and, and pulls himself up with the other hand, just struggling and trying hard as he can be or hard as possible to, to hang on to this cliff. But from the perspective, the second perspective of the vision, he's about that far off of solid ground. And in the vision, she said, the Lord spoke to him and said, if he just let go, he'd receive his healing. Now, what's he doing? He's doing everything that he knows to do. He's confessing the word. He's claiming the promises of God. He's speaking the right things. He's praying the right things. He's speaking in tongues. He's doing everything right. But folks, the Bible says that the servant of the Lord shouldn't strive. There comes a point where you have to just rest in the truth of what God said. There comes a point where you say, you have to say and have to take the position. 
Lord, I've done everything there is to do. Folks, please understand, if the word of God is not true, we're up, a pa- we're up the creek without a paddle. And if God is not strong enough to perform what he promised, we're sunk. So there's a place. That's what this rest that Paul is talking about is, is all about. We which have believed do enter into rest. You've got to get to the place where you know that you know that you know. Lord, I've done everything there is. Now the, 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 the responsibility is not on me. I believe. The responsibility is on you to perform your word. Your word says that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. If that's not true. Then what are we wasting our time with? But if it is true. And thank God it is. Then all we have to do. Is believe. Only believe. Remember that's what Jesus told. uh, uh, Who did he tell? Matthew chapter 8. It was Jairus. No, it wasn't Jairus. Yeah, it was Jairus. Jairus came and said, my daughter is at home, sick of the palsy. Jesus is on his way. It's, Matthew, it's not Matthew 8, it's Mark chapter 5. Jesus is on his way to his house. And the woman with the issue of blood shows up, tells her whole story. She takes forever. You know how that works. Finally, while she's still finishing her story, somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, your daughter's dead. Jesus turned immediately, immediately, the scripture says, immediately saying, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Folks, that's all there is to it. Only believe. Not only believe and work real hard. Not believe and make sure you say your confessions enough times. Not believe and strive, 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 strive to make sure you're doing your part. It's only believe. Only believe. Jesus raised his daughter, Jairus' daughter, from the dead on the same faith that Jairus had expressed. If you come to my house and lay hands on my daughter, she'll live and not die. Same faith. He didn't even say, you know, that would have been a perfect place, according to a lot of teachers in the body of Christ. That would have been a perfect place for Jesus to say, now, wait a minute, Jairus, we've got to work on this. You had healing faith before. Now we need some special faith because this is raising of the dead. He didn't. He just says, only believe. In other words, literally, if you allow me to paraphrase it, he's saying, just stay in faith. It may be more than what you thought it was to begin with, but just stay in faith. I'm still big enough for this. Just stay in faith. Folks, there's a place where you have to come to rest. There's a place where you have to let go and lean back. Brother Hagin let go of the responsibility of having that miracle service. He leaned back on the Lord, and the Lord did the work. If God would do it for somebody else and not for you, then he's a respecter of persons and the whole Bible's a lie. But he'll do the same for you and me. There's a place of great comfort and a place of great peace when you can say, Lord, I've done everything there is to stand. I'm standing. Now it's up to you to perform your word. I always keep the attitude, Lord, if there's something I'm supposed to know, you know I'm open, so it's your responsibility to get the information to me. The fact that you haven't, means there must not be anything. So now it's up to you. It's all on you. I think a lot of times we try to put pressure on ourselves or we wind up pressuring ourselves to make the word of God work. I, I, I cringe every time somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Mike, I want you to agree with me for my healing. I want this to be a great testimony. I cringe about that. God's not looking for a testimony. 
lot of times people think God owes them a testimony. They want to do something. They want to be able to tell everybody what great things God did so God owes them healing for, so that they can have their testimony. That's not how it works. God doesn't owe us anything. The good news is it belongs to us because of God's goodness to send his son Jesus. It's just that simple. So what point do you get to to be able to say, Lord, I've done everything there is? It may be a heart-searching, soul-searching type thing. Because if you haven't been open to whatever the Lord has directed you to do, then you need to be so. You need to be open. But once you develop yourself and once you come to the place where it's like, okay, Lord, the Holy Ghost will lead me into victory. He'll guide me into all reality. The reality of healing is included in that. So, Lord, if there's anything I need to know, it's up to you to show me. You know I'm open. You know I'm listening. If you don't show me, And I die from this thing because you failed to reveal this to me. I'm going to remind you about that every day in heaven for the rest of eternity. Because the fact is the Holy Ghost said he'll guide you into reality. He'll guide you into all truth. That it has to include healing, doesn't it? So if you know you have that kind of relationship with God, if you know you have that kind of openness to whatever God tells you to do, then you can lean back and say, Lord, you haven't shown me anything, so there can't be anything else for me to do other than just trust in you. I rest in and I rely on you. We which I believe do enter into rest. I'll never forget that vision that that person, my friend, had about that other guy. And, it, uh, and, and I don't take it as condemnation on his part. I well understand where he was coming from. I know the pressure of, of trying to perform in faith that comes against all of us. But oh, there's such a place of peace where you're saying, oh, Lord, I've prayed the prayer of faith. Your word says in James chapter 5 and verse 15, your word says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and you shall raise up that sick person. It's all on you, Lord. It's not on me. It's all on you. You weren't designed or made to carry pressure. But God's word was. Put the pressure on the word, not on you. When the devil comes and says, well, you must be doing something wrong. Well, what am I doing wrong, Mr. Devil? Believe in God? You might want to take that up with him. You know as well as I do that my heart is open. Then I'll change anything I need to change. I'll act on anything I need to act on. But you also know that the Lord hadn't told me anything. Which means there is not anything you're just trying to bring doubt. I'm resting in him. And the Lord is raising me up. Oh there's such a place of peace there folks. Receiving from God shouldn't be a hard thing. Receiving from God, even, even when we talk about fighting the good fight of faith, it's not when you come through the other side and say, man, I'm worn out. I did everything I could to believe God on that one. That's not how it works. It's keeping your mind focused. It's staying single-minded instead of being double-minded. And that's work. There's no question about that. But it's not a physically taxing thing. We need to relax and rest in God. I believe with all my being, I believe this is what it's talking about. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. I have no doubt in my mind that that's what that was about. Abraham found that place of rest. He found that place where he could just lean back over on the Lord. I mean, let's face it, folks, you can't do it on your own anyway, can you? Why not just rest in him? I can find it. I'm going to read that fourth verse to you again. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. You got to be open to the Holy Ghost if He gives you direction. 
You've got to follow that direction. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Wouldn't that mean healing too? Jesus, you're all there is when it comes to healing. Standing on the promises of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to rest in you. Lord, you know our hearts. You know that we've made ourselves open and available to you. In many cases, we've gone way overboard trying to find something wrong when there isn't anything. But we declare now before heaven and earth and hell that our hearts are open to receiving any direction or any instruction from the Lord, from the Holy Ghost. And we commit to you, Father, that we will follow that direction because we trust the Holy Ghost to guide us into all reality. But, Lord, we're also smart enough to go as much by what you don't tell us as what you do tell us. If you haven't already shown us and our hearts have been open to receive it, then that by of necessity means there is nothing for us to change or correct. Therefore, we simply rest in you. We rest in the truth of your word. We accept that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never fail. We accept that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. That's us, Lord. So we thank you in Jesus' name that you're raising us up. It may have been a short time. It may have been a long time. Time has no bearing on this whatsoever. Time doesn't change your word. Time doesn't change you. So thank you that you're raising us up. Thank you that sickness and disease is leaving our body in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing whatever is necessary as we rest in you to restore us to divine health in Jesus' precious name. Oh, Father, we worship you. Lord Jesus, we magnify you as our healer. We thank you that there's nothing that's too hard for you. We thank you that the attacks of the enemy have no bearing on us because of the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that nothing can keep your word from being a reality in our lives because we've chosen and we do choose to trust in you. We love you, Lord. Oh, it's so good to be healed, Lord Jesus. With the eye of faith, we see ourselves well. And it's so good to be healed. You know how we suffered with sickness, Lord. You know the embarrassment that we suffered through. The shame of the sickness that attached itself to our bodies. But oh, Lord, it's so good to be healed. We see it. We see it. Because your word has said so. So good to be healed, Lord. We just rest in you. We believe, therefore we rest in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a real sweet presence of the Lord here in this place. Just drink it in. Just relax. Breathe it deeply. And just let go. Just let go. God's well able to do what he promised. Well able. Just let go. We trust you, Lord. We worship you. We magnify you. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. You are our healer. Hallelujah. 
It's so good to know that the promised land blessings are ours, Lord. We do enter into your rest. That is our abiding place. That's the place where we live. Hallelujah. 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 The glory of God is starting to enter into the room. To stay in an attitude of worship. The more we worship him, the more we rest in him, the more he shows himself. The more pleased he is that we've decided to quit doing it on ourselves or trying to do it on our own. We magnify you, Lord Jesus. We magnify you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you can do what we can't do. Thank you, Lord, that you can do the impossible. The impossible is commonplace for you. Forgive us, Lord, in taking our responsibility. Sometimes we try to go too far. But it's all about you, not us. It's about you. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. I want you to envision yourself like that guy hanging on the ledge. Let go. Let God catch you. His word's well able to hold you up. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't have a care because I'm in the arms of Jesus. I have nothing to worry about because Jesus is the Lord my shepherd. I have no wants for he cares for me. I am in his hands and no one can take me out of his hands. He's at work in my situation. So I need not fret. He never slumbers nor sleeps. So I'm not going to stay up at night. Nothing can separate me from his love. And his love provides everything that I need. I'm in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that he accomplished, all that he won through his death, his burial, and his resurrection is mine. He does not withhold one good thing from those that love him. And that's me. Hallelujah. Thank you for miracles, Lord. Thank you for performing miracles on our behalf. Because we trust in you. In Jesus' name. Everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 It's good to rest in him, isn't it? These are things that we need to be reminded of from time to time. But I want to encourage you. Don't get out of this place. Live here. 
Realize that God loves you enough to have a working relationship with you. If there's something you need to fix, he'll show you. He's not holding back. He's not trying to hide it from you. He'll show you and he'll show you right away. So you don't have to get into wondering. Taking the thoughts of the enemy is something wrong. Am I doing something wrong? Am I not doing what I should be doing? Just trust in him. Believe his word. Confess it with your mouth. And rest in him. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.